please turn with me in your Bible this morning to the New Testament book of Philippians. And this morning we're reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And if you worship with us regularly, whether by live stream or here in the main sanctuary, we have over these Sundays in January been looking at a series of studies on Sunday morning entitled Fresh Prayers for a New Year. And this morning we're at the halfway mark, moving into our second half of these studies, and we are looking at the prayer of the Apostle Paul. When we started back in mid-January, we looked at another prayer from the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. And this morning we're coming to see another of Paul's prayers, which he models for us here in the book of Philippians. And we're reading this morning the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1. You'll find it on page 1825 of the Church Bible. The Apostle Paul writes these words. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the last few Sundays, as I said moments ago, we have been spending Sunday mornings with a new series of studies entitled Fresh Prayers for a New Year. And over the last few Sundays, we've looked at some major themes involved in prayer. We've looked at what exactly is prayer? What are we involved in when we consciously begin to pray? And we've said on several of these Sundays that it's a helpful definition of prayer to think of prayer in this sense. Genuine prayer is an encounter with the ineffable character and nature of God himself, combined with an intimate conversation of reciprocal love, defined by a deep dependency on him while wrapped up in adoration of him who is. And whenever we have looked at that over the last couple of weeks, folks have said to me, Richard, I like that. Can I somehow get a copy of that? And what I'm going to do is some of these slides I've put up on our last Sunday together, I'm going to give you a copy of selected ones, and this is going to be one of them. 
because it helpfully encapsulates everything we think of in prayer is an encounter with the ineffable nature and character of God. And if you're saying, Richard, I understand, I think what you're saying, but what on earth does ineffable mean? Well, it means this. It means a character in nature which is sacred, holy, unimaginable goodness, transcendent in majesty. And if I can add my own language in there, whenever I think of prayer, it is staggeringly breathtaking to me that God should want to enter into a conversation with me. Never mind one that is a reciprocal conversation of love. And yet he does. In addition to all of that, prayer involves all. Deep, lasting respect, profound intimacy, struggle, and reality. And we're going to see some of those themes come out in our study this morning. That's what prayer is. And as we begin to immerse ourselves in these opening words of the book of Philippians, here we find the apostle reminiscing about his connection with the folks in Philippi. He's known them for almost a decade, fully ten years. If you want to know more about Paul's first connection with Philippi, it takes place in Acts chapter 16. And it's a very dramatic experience for Paul. He arrives in the town of Philippi. He begins to set up a small congregation of individuals. It grows very quickly. God works in a dramatic fashion. So much so that some of the folks in Philippi complain to the Roman authorities. And Paul is arrested and beaten for his faith. But nonetheless, God is right there at the center of it all, transforming hearts and minds and souls. And when he thinks back on them, he thinks back with great joy. You see it in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He is fond of them. He's praying for them. And then he adds verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel. And so he is excited for them. And in fact, this entire letter is one of those letters that, first of all, seeks to encourage its readers and also equip them to live out their faith. And if you take notes in the margin of your Bible, it is worth, in these first 11 verses, writing down those words, encouraging and equipping. And those are two themes that Paul does again and again throughout his epistles and certainly here. And this is what we know of the epistle to the Philippians, to give you an overview. Philippians stands out as being one of Paul's most personal epistles. There's no sharp rebukes of the congregation, mar its joyful spirit, no disturbing problems threaten the progress of the church. Paul's warnings are of a cautionary and preventative nature and are well received by the Philippians. It is a friendly and warm epistle. And we see that note from the very earliest greetings that he brings in verses 1 and 2, and again here in verse 3. 
And so as Paul looks back, encouraging, equipping them, he is thrilled to be in touch with them. And he is writing in terms that is life-affirming and life-giving. But the other thing the apostle does is this. He doesn't simply look back on his past experience with them. He doesn't simply write and say, do you remember when I was first in Philippi and we got together and this happened and that happened and wow, weren't those great days? He doesn't do that. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And he does. But he then encourages them not to be looking back to their past, but in fact to be focused on their future. Who is God calling them to be for the days and months and years ahead? Who is he refining and shaping them to become? Now, one of the things as Christians we love to do is look back on the blessings of God in our past. But he also calls us to be foursquare looking at our future. And so he says, I thank God every time I remember you. And then he goes on, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, most of you are aware that whenever we come to a passage of Scripture, we're looking at three things. And this is what is called good hermeneutical principles. And you've heard me talk about this in the past, and some of you are fed up with me saying it, but it's worth highlighting again. We come to a passage of Scripture, we're looking at the historical context. And we've mentioned that this morning of Paul in Acts 16. We'll look at the theological content, which we'll touch on later. And we also look at the literary structure. And that means what words is the biblical writer using? Why does he use them in a particular order? What is it that the author is intending to say to us? And so when you come to a passage like this, the first line is fairly straightforward. I thank God every time I remember you. And then it's that second phrase that New Testament scholars tell us that the Apostle Paul, in using the second personal plural pronoun, forgive me for being technical, and he says, in all my prayers for all of you. And in fact, if you're translating that from the original Greek, it reads like this, in all my prayers for all y'all. Okay, it's as simple as that. It's fairly straightforward. But you've got to keep an eye out for these things in biblical studies. So once again, in all my prayers for all you all, and it's right there. Now some of you are sleeping and missed that a couple of minutes ago, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But later in the course of the morning, ask someone and they will keep you right. Now we know he says all you all because Paul is from... Southern Turkey, from Tarsus. He was a southerner, and it's pretty clear there in the language that he uses. So apart from my silliness this morning, it is an inclusive prayer. I'm praying for every one of you, and I'm praying with joy. Now, why is that significant? It's significant for this reason. Because the apostle wants to encourage and equip them. And he's equipping them and encouraging them by saying, I am praying for you. Now this is the Apostle Paul. This is the evangelist to the Gentile. A man who has had the greatest, greater revelation of the things of God than 
any other living being with the exception of Christ. He is an apostle. He has founded and established multiple church. And here is this smallish church in Philippi. And Paul is saying, I'm thinking of you. I'm encouraged by what I hear about you. I'm praying for you. Please know I'm right there for you. And I want you to know that when you have a tough day, things are not working out the way you had hoped. Your plans and dreams are not coming to fruition. I am still praying for you. And imagine getting a letter like that from the Apostle Paul. It's Paul who's praying for you. So what is the practical lesson this morning in these first few verses? It's this. Do you know someone this week who's struggling? Maybe someone in work. Someone in your neighborhood. A young couple whom you know had a miscarriage towards the end of last year. And that's been tough. They've told less than a handful of people. Someone's lost a spouse or a child. Or gone through an acrimonious divorce and it has not worked well. And that has been just so difficult for them. It's almost crushed them. And maybe this week you could take five minutes Send them an email, or even better, a handwritten note. Give them a call. Invite them to lunch next Sunday with you after the morning service and say, you've been on my mind, I've been thinking about you. How are you? I want you to know I've been thinking about you and praying for you. Boy, does that make a difference. It made a difference when Paul wrote to the church at Philippians. It makes a difference when we take that kind of effort to say, you've been on my mind, you've been in my prayers, I want you to know that despite what you're wrestling through, I'm praying for you. And the prayer that Paul gives here is not some casual prayer by rote or ritual, Father bless the folks in Philippi, it is much greater than that. And in fact, in his prayer, he's reminding folks of who God calls them to be, and we're about to see it in a moment or two. And if you were with us last Sunday, I said sometimes we're tempted to think that prayer is about getting, about God giving to us what we want. But What if prayer is more about becoming or being? Being the man or woman God is calling us to be. Becoming the person he longs for us to be. Becoming that person who is stepping out and thinking of others first. Encouraging them and praying for them. And this is remarkable given not only who is writing, but the circumstances Paul is living in. He is languishing in a Roman prison cell. He's about to go on trial for his life. And the entire focus of the epistle is the church of Philippi. Not Paul's needs or wants or circumstance, difficult as they are, isolated, lonely, in a Roman prison cell. No family around him to say, Paul, we're thinking of you. No men's group to say, Paul, when we met yesterday for a prayer breakfast and our time together, we prayed for you. None of that's happening. 
And yet here is the Apostle Paul, when he's thinking of the church at Philippi, he is praying for them. Now is there someone this week, as we mentioned moments ago, you need to be reaching out to and encouraging and praying for? Very practical lesson. And then secondly, and Paul moves the tone and the focus of his prayer away from the horizontal or the anthropological And he moves it heavenward. And he moves it heavenwards in verse 3 when he says this, excuse me, verse 4. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And here it comes at verse 6. And if you don't have verse 6 underlined in your Bible or marked in the margin, this is what is called a memory verse. In other words, over the centuries, Christians by the millions have committed this verse to memory. And the Apostle Paul says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in at the day of Christ Jesus. Now notice what he's saying again. Let me slow it down, take it step by step. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. That's where Paul's confidence lies. He knows the benefits of writing to people and encouraging them and strengthening them in our faith. But that's not where his ultimate strength and confidence lies. But it lies in the character and nature of God himself. Being confident of this, that he who began by putting his hand upon your life, drawing you to himself, will continue to walk with you and persevere with you and shape you and fashion you and he will never give up on you, never abandon you, never walk away from you. And Paul is saying, that's where my confidence lies. Not in our own ability or our own strength or our own faithfulness but great is thy faithfulness that's the point he's making he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion earlier this morning i was teasing you ever so slightly and messing around about the literary structure of an earlier verse But the literary structure in this verse is straightforward. And the language used is inaugurate. Think of that. The language he uses is inaugurate. It is a decisive, intentional, deliberate act of God. There is nothing abrupt or hasty about it. In other words, it's been planned and executed and he will bring it through to fulfillment. Look at it again. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And what an encouraging verse that is this morning. Folks, if you forget everything else about what we have said this morning... Put a mark beside that verse. Come back to it this week. Remember that it's in His strength, His faithfulness, His persevering with us that allows us to grow and mature in our faith. It is grounded and focused in Him. 
And then notice exactly what he says in terms of the content of the prayer itself. He says what, being confident of this in Christ Jesus, and then in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. In other words, Paul is saying, this is not something that is distinct or unique to me. But you also share in that grace. He also perseveres with you. He enables and strengthens and equips you as well. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now what a prayer that is. Could we this week make that a prayer for a husband or a wife? A child or a grandchild? Could we take the language Paul uses and blend it into and make it one of our prayers for children, great-grandchildren, folks at work, people we know, those who are heavy on our heart? Maybe even for ourselves. What a prayer it is. And then he goes on, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And here is God taking the initiative. He who began a good work in you. And then he lays out his prayer in that multifold request that their love will abound more and more. Not only will your love abound more and more, not only will you be known for caring for others, not only will you be known as a compassionate church, a church who wants to make a difference in your city, but also you will grow in knowledge and depth of insight. That's maturity. That's wisdom. That takes time. And then he goes on. And may it be able to discern what is best. In other words, in the year ahead, when you have major decisions to make, decisions that will infect you and your family, Father, grant me wisdom. Help me to do what is best. Lead me, guide me, direct me. Help me in those relationships with my spouse or my children or my grandchildren, the folks in my neighborhood, the people at work. And may I be pure and blameless in the process. And then his prayer continues, refined by righteousness, let me act with holiness. Let me act in a Christ-like fashion. Let me do what is right. And then he goes on again. But their love may abound more and more. Knowledge and depths of insight may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. I remember several years ago, and I'm sure I've told you this before, but it is worth reminding us this morning, is this. That when Paul is praying for the congregation, And praying in such a wonderful way, modeling for us prayer. 
I remember being in seminary and one of our lecturers, church history lecturer, would begin every lecture in prayer. And he would simply say, let us pause for a moment in prayer. He would take about 60 seconds or so and pray for the class. And then he would begin his lecture. But at the end of the year, when it came time for our final exam for that year, he would not pray. And eventually someone said to him, Dr. Hopkins, why do you pray all year long in class, but not at exam time? And he very cleverly looked over the edge of his glasses and said, external assistance is not allowed in an academic exam. And we knew exactly what he meant. Of course, he was being incredibly funny in that dry Scottish manner that he had. But when Paul is praying, he's praying that God will continue to bless and encourage and equip us to be living out our faith as we look to the future, giving thanks for the past. In a couple of weeks, I, like you, will probably settle down, not quite a couple of weeks, almost, what is it, about eight ten weeks possibly, to the Masters. And I will settle down to watch them from the Thursday through the Sunday. And I will enjoy every bit of it. And as I'm watching the play continue day after day, I will also be watching the caddies. Because the caddy goes out before the player, walks the course physically, walks it slowly and carefully, tries to work out any possible difficulty or hazard, will bring to the player insight and wisdom, experience and expertise, and bring guidance to the player. But it's not enough for the caddy to know the course. He's also got to know the player. And he's got to know the player's strengths. Got to know that when a shot goes awry, the player will not crumble, but will dig deep and keep going and show mental and emotional strength, as well as giftedness on follow-through. Short game and tea and putting will all be so good that there's possibly a champion here. And likewise... In the year ahead, God knows what is coming up. He's walked the course ahead of us. He knows the hazards. He knows the difficulties. But He also knows us. And He who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. Because He knows your strengths, your abilities, the areas in our life that He needs to refine and polish. And will be right there equipping us and being sufficient for our every need. And you may well be saying, Richard, thank you. I think I've got that this morning. There's clearly a lot more in this prayer than I first thought. So thank you for it. I'm certainly going to read over it this week and try and make it part and parcel of my prayer life. But Richard, I have... One problem, and I mentioned this weeks ago, but quite honestly, I don't remember your answer. And my question weeks ago was this, Richard, what do I do on the mornings that I don't feel like praying? 
What do I do when God feels distant, far off, uninterested, and I am struggling down here? What I do in the mornings, not only do I feel that I don't want to pray, I'm disappointed and hurt. God is nowhere to be seen. What do I do on those mornings? Do you remember at the beginning of our study this morning when we described prayer and said that prayer should also be awe and authentic and real? And could it be that it is at those very moments when you don't feel like praying, those are the moments that authentic prayer comes. Those are the moments that are unvarnished and undisguised, not diluted with good feelings and best intent, but prayers that show the open, raw, authentic condition of your heart and mind and soul. Those are the moments for digging deep and persevering and saying, Father, I don't feel like praying. And Father, I'm angry with the way things have turned out. And I'm so disappointed. Please hear me. Answer my prayers. And those are the moments when credibility and authenticity And honesty and transparency come to the fore. And that may well be your most real moment in prayer. When you're genuinely wrestling, giving up ritual and rote and pattern, but are involved in real, actual prayer that makes a difference. That's the moment to dig deep. That's the moment to persevere. That's the moment when in the back of your mind you have memorized and know the reality and can hear it in your soul that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And that's where your confidence lies. And so as we go into this next week, take time to come back And remember that He is praying that your love for Him might abound more and more. That you would have greater insight and depth of knowledge of His nature and His character. And you can rest in Him. That in so doing, He will grant to you discernment to know what is best. And then you may live a pure and blameless life. Great is thy faithfulness. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And thank you for all that it means to us. Allow us, please, in the week ahead, not to simply look back in remembrance of this morning, but to take this passage and live it out in our own lives, utterly dependent on you. Father, bless us, please, for you are our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.